Welcome to Insight, the insurance news podcast hosted by me, Andrew Sawcox. In this week's edition of Insight, just between you and me and about a thousand other listeners, there's an election coming and some politicians are literally wet behind the ears. Alas, La Nina decided to leave with a bang and not a whimper and we're left with one hell of a bill. The news doesn't get any better for the future state of climate catastrophes. And while the industry struggles to deal with the challenges of out-of-home care providers, there's better news from the latest industry statistics. Hello, everyone. On the panel today are Managing Editor John Deeks, Deputy Editor Wendy Pugh, Chairman Terry McMullen, and Senior Journalist Miranda Maxwell. Welcome back, Wendy. Nice to be back, Andrew. I hope this holiday wasn't as wet as your last one. No, um, it's got a bit of torrential rain, but, but nowhere like northern New South Wales. And hello, Miranda. Oh, thank you for having me back on the podcast, Andrew. Good morning. Well, after an excellent debut, confidence must be high. Oh, well, let's see how I go second time around. <laughs> hello, Terry. Good morning. So we can finally put to bed the rumour that I made up that you and Miranda are the same person. <laughs> Couldn't you tell the difference in voices? <laughs> I thought uh, I thought one of you was putting on an act and I can't decide who. <laughs> and hello, John. Hi. Well, John, we said last week this flood event was likely to be a big one. And sadly, we were right. What's the latest? Yeah, so unfortunately, claims across Queensland and New South Wales are still going up sharply every day. And by the time this podcast goes out, there will, there will have been in the region of 100,000 claims lodged at an estimated cost of about $1.5 billion. And that's without larger commercial claims, which tend to take longer to come in. It kind of looks like estimates of a $2 billion event could be a little light. And the Insurance Council is warning that this is shaping up to be one of Australia's worst ever flood events. Also, the horrible weather still isn't over. As we're recording this, there's a series of severe weather warnings for parts of New South Wales. We could still see yet more flooding. Insurers are on the ground and doing everything they can for customers. But we're already seeing some concerns coming through about underinsurance and the lack of flood cover. Also, many within the industry are worried about delays to claims. There are pre-existing issues with shortages of claim staff, trades and materials, which are only going to get worse as a result of an event of this magnitude. As some have pointed out, this is the very last thing the industry and its customers needed. And there's another concerning report from the climate change experts, isn't there? Yes, just to pile on the misery, the UN's Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change says Australia faces more floods unless more effort is made to reverse man-made carbon emissions. The IPCC's latest report says the current one in a hundred year flood in Australia could occur several times a year in future because of climate change. One of the authors of this report told us that while we've always had the risk of bad storms and east coast lows, climate change is just making that risk worse. Well, Terry, with an election still not called, but coming up, do you think this event makes politicians more likely to listen to the insurer's warnings on mitigation and adaptation? Well, you'd think it would, wouldn't you? But I don't have much faith in politicians' ability to focus on mitigation spending, I guess, particularly when everyone's shouting out for disaster relief payouts. I, I just looked at, at one single place, and that was Lismore, because it's a really good case in point. Most of the houses and businesses in Lismore that went underwater this time have been underwater before, most recently in 2017. The town's on a, a floodplain like so many towns around Australia, and it has a levy, but if it's overtopped, as it has been the last couple of times, should they just make 
the levee even higher or move the whole town to higher ground. That's just one example of so many where the problems and the solutions are pretty complex. And certainly it's time to, to start shouting long and loud about federal and state governments taking a minimalist attitude to mitigation and the impact that that has on, on insurance affordability. I've seen a lot more articles online and in newspapers in, in the past week looking and uh, uh, at disaster mitigation, and, that, and that's a good thing. But this is a problem that isn't going to go away, but it will fade from sight in the next few months as things return to a, or a semblance of normal. So let's hope that we actually do get some action out of this. But some of those actions are really, really, really expensive. The Cyclone Reinsurance Pool debate carries on, Wendy. You're tuning into a hearing this afternoon, aren't you? Yes. um, After the Cyclone Pool bill was introduced into Parliament, it was referred to a Senate committee for review. So they've published 19 submissions uh, on their website and it's now holding its its first uh, hearings with um, ICA, uh, ISAQ, Sure Insurance, APRA, Treasury, ACCC, Strata Community Association and Northern Australia Insurance Lobby appearing. The committee's due to report back by March 24, and I'm not sure the degree to which changes can be made to the the bill without delaying the whole thing. Um, It's due to take effect from July 1, but um, NEBA points out in their submission that, you know, a small delay is preferable if it results in, in getting a better outcome in the end. Like including rain bombs rather than just cyclones. John, do you think all this flooding, which isn't cyclone related, could get people wondering if a broader pool is necessary? Yes, absolutely. I mean, Terry used the example of Lismore. The people of Lismore, as I understand it, are unlikely to see much benefit from the cyclone reinsurance pool. But there are many members of that community who can't afford the insurance that they need. So why isn't the government stepping in for them like it is for residents of North Queensland? It's a question that is getting asked more and more frequently, and I think it's quite a hard one to answer. As Wendy says, we'll see what the Senate inquiry has to say about it all, but the government seems pretty set on its plans. Well, our analysis this week focuses on the collapse of the private insurance market for abuse cover for out-of-home care providers. I read it twice, but I still don't understand. Can you explain this one for me, Miranda? Thanks, Andrew. Yes, I did a really deep dive into this, so I'll try and give you a nice short snapshot. It sounds really niche, but it actually has huge ramifications and governments and charities and not profit not-for-profits, really scrambling here. Basically, Anspire Insurance has stopped offering what it calls PSA. That is physical and sexual abuse cover for out-of-home care. And out-of-home care covers foster care and residential home care for children and adolescents who have been made wards. It still offers PSA for things like Sunday school and aged care and so on, but not for out-of-home care because the statistics on that specific risk are just appalling. The reason it's such a big deal is because all the other private insurers already pulled out of this after the Royal Commission. And so now state governments are having to put in interim backstops. What's happened is this particular abuse cover has way too small a premium pool. It just isn't anywhere near big enough for the exposure and the insurers can't price the risk. The number of claims have rocketed and limitations have been removed on compensation and things like economic loss are taken into account, which was never dreamed of when they wrote the policies decades ago. So basically they talk about, it's really a complete 
insurance market collapse and an unfortunate fallout from the Royal Commission. They talk about insurers' appetite for risk and those old abuse policies, which were written decades ago, have unfortunately left a huge case of indigestion. Well, is this a case of insurers abandoning a crucial sector, Terry, from the effects of the Royal Commission, or is it just a sad state of affairs that's well outside of the insurers' control? Well, insurers didn't cause the problem, so definitely the latter. If something becomes such a money loser, the risks become uninsurable and there's no end in sight, insurers really have little choice but to step away. And ANSVAR, which has a massive social conscience, is, is the very last insurer to make that decision. So it, it is a very serious problem. But look at why. You know, ANSVAR's gross liability for physical and sexual abuse cover in the out-of-home care sector has increased 350% in the last few years. That's simply unsustainable. The solutions aren't financial, and they're certainly not the fault of the insurers. It's governments that need to address the issue, and until then, they're going to have to carry the risk burden themselves, which will at least encourage them to focus on finding some answers, I hope. Another case of risk mitigation requirements. Wendy, ASIC promised to go easy on us after a spate of Royal Commission reforms, but is the honeymoon period over? Well, it sounds like it. I mean, specifically on the uh, design and uh, distribution obligations, which came to effect last October, ASIC chairman Joe Longo says it's now considered the industry has had enough time to bed down the implementation of those reforms. And he says ASIC will be expecting compliance and during the year will pursue a targeted surveillance approach and will be moving to enforce the obligations where necessary, which, which comes, which, you know, that compares to comments from ASIC last year when it would take account, you know, of best efforts. Um, and at that time, it sort of acknowledged the, uh, the difficulties of COVID and the, and the sheer, you know, volume of reforms that were taking effect around the same time. Well, John, we wrote about the design and distribution obligations in the broker last week, didn't we? Yes, we did. Um, Brokers are worried that consumers are are getting confused by the new target market determination documents. And some have gone so far as to suggest the the reform maybe should be rolled back. But uh, consumer groups and lawyers have pointed out that while the TMDs are provided to customers, they're not necessarily meant to be read and understood by them. The obligation is on the insurer to provide an appropriate product. And the TMD is just part of making sure that that happens. That said, it is a bit strange that another long and legalistic document is being thrown at consumers with very little explanation as to what it's all about. Well, finally, on more positive news, Miranda, the latest APRA industry stats are pretty good reading, weren't they? Yes, underwriters can rejoice. They are back in the black. The 2021 result was an impressive underwriting profit of $4 billion and an industry-wide net profit of $1.7 billion. It's really quite a turnaround because last the year before, it was a paltry $60 million net profit and an underwriting loss. The improvement was really all driven by higher premiums and lower claims. Uh, Investment income wasn't a big factor. And the better premium numbers were pretty much across the board in most classes of business, with gross earned premium up 9% and gross incurred claims 
down 18%. Claims were helped by lower natural catastrophe events, though it's pretty clear that unfortunately 2022 might be a different story on that front. And last year, motor claims costs did start to pick up again as COVID restrictions eased. The annual figure does disguise a tougher fourth quarter because net profit was only $100 million in the December quarter, which was a big fall from the third quarter. And that was because of hail and storm events we saw and also householders and domestic motor classes made underwriting losses in that last quarter last year. I don't mean to be Ebenezer Scrooge on this, but Terry, could the floods put a dampener on those figures? Sorry, Andrew, but yeah, you can count on that. Look, this most recent series of unpredictable extreme events is is going to hit insurers and their reinsurers pretty hard. I mean, we're starting to talk $2 billion and and more. So the rising cost of claims for these sort of things is, is going to have to be reflected in future premiums. People need to understand it. It's not about insurers attempting to claw back their losses. It's about pricing for weather-related risks that are incredibly unpredictable in terms of of size and the damage they do. So, yeah, things are going... We're we're still in a great state of flux, let me say that. But, yes, unfortunately, if insurers want to keep their their, uh, profits up, there's very little choice but to actually price accurately and properly. Well, that brings us to the end of this week's Insight podcast by Insurance News. Thank you once again to our panel, Miranda Maxwell, John Deeks, Terry McMullen and Wendy Pugh. Enjoy your week and thank you all for listening. If you have any questions or comments, please email us at editor at insurancenews.com.au. We value your input. You can read all these stories and many others at your leisure at insurancenews.com.au. You can subscribe to the Insight podcast on iTunes, Spotify, Acast and all your favourite podcast platforms now. We look forward to catching up again next week.